Hallelujah. <clears throat> With that thought in mind, we'd like to turn to Psalm 113. Um, maybe you've already picked up that my heart is is already in next weekend and what we anticipate there. Not um, more in preparation, I guess, I would say. And so just in some of my meditations and so on, um, as we try to enter into the setting of, of Jesus' last moments on earth and his interaction with the disciples, we're going to find that that as they went to the upper room, that they were there to keep the feast of the Passover. We're not going to get into all that. But from what I've read, that at the feast of the Passover, as it started, they would have sung a hallel, which means praise. Hallelujah means hallel, Yah. God. That Hallel would have been Psalm 113 and possibly 114. There's differences of opinion, maybe even 115 prior to the feast. And then after they were all done, before they would leave, they would sing 116. 117 and 118. So basically, 113 to 118 is considered a hallel. So let's read this. We're going to read 4, 113, 14, 15, and 16, although um, not all these would have been read previous to the Passover, but just allow yourself to think about if you were a Jew commemorating the Passover, and you was reading these, singing these, these hymns, and the, you're remembering what's in the past, but you also have some great anticipation of something in the future that you hardly even know what it is. So just think about that as we read. So again, hallel, hallelujah, praise ye the Lord is how this starts, Psalm 113. Praise ye the Lord. Praise, O ye servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. From the rising of the sun and to the going down of the same, the Lord's name is to be praised. The Lord is high above all nations and his glory above the heavens. Who is like unto the Lord our God, who dwelleth on high, who humbleth himself to behold the things that are in heaven and in the earth? He raiseth up the poor out of the dust, and lifteth the needy out of the dunghill, that he may set him with princes, even with the princes of the people. He maketh the barren woman to keep house, and to be a joyful mother of children. Praise ye the Lord. Now, I'll just notice this, this little hymn here. Remember, we're sitting at Passover remembering. 
when Israel went out of Egypt, the house of Jacob, from a people of strange language, Judah was his sanctuary and Israel his dominion. The sea saw it and fled. Jordan was driven back. The mountains skipped like rams and the little hills like lambs. What ailed thee, O thou sea, that thou fleddest? Thou Jordan, that thou wast driven back. Ye mountains, that ye skipped like rams, and ye little hills like lambs. Tremble, thou earth, at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob, which turned the rock into a standing water and flint into a fountain of waters. Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto thy name give glory for thy mercy and for thy truth's sake. Wherefore should the heathen say, where is now their God? Now remember, they just came out of Egypt. They're remembering that. But our God is in the heavens. He hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they speak not. Eyes have they, but they see not. They have ears, but they hear not. Noses have they, but they smell not. They have hands, but they handle not. Feet have they, but they walk not. Neither, their, neither speak they through their throat. They that make them are like unto them. So is every one that trusteth in them. O Israel, trust thou in the Lord. He is their helper and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. Ye that fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. The Lord hath been mindful of us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless them that fear the Lord, both small and great. The Lord shall increase you more and more you and your children. Ye are blessed of the Lord, which made heaven and earth. The heaven, even the heavens are the Lord's, but the earth hath he given to the children of men. The dead praise not the Lord, neither any that go down into silence. But we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Praise the Lord. Now notice, again, we move into 116. I love the Lord because he hath heard my voice and my supplications. Because he hath inclined his ear unto me, therefore will I call upon him as long as I live. The sorrows of death compass me, and the pains of hell got hold upon me. I found trouble and sorrow. Then called I upon the name of the Lord. O Lord, I beseech thee, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous, yea, our God is merciful. The Lord preserveth the simple. I was brought low, and he helped me. Return unto thy rest, O my soul, for the Lord hath dealt bountifully with thee. 
For thou hast delivered my soul from death, mine eyes from tears, and my feet from falling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed, therefore have I spoken. I was greatly afflicted. I said in my haste, all men are liars. What shall I render unto the Lord for all his benefits toward me? I will take the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows unto the Lord now in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O Lord, truly I am thy servant. I am thy servant and the son of thine handmaid. Thou hast loosed my bonds. I will offer to thee the sacrifice of thanksgiving and will call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows unto the Lord now in the presence of all his people in the courts of the Lord's house in the midst of thee, O Jerusalem. Praise ye the Lord. Good morning. Brother Larry has asked for St. John 6, starting at chapter, verse 22. The day following, when the people which stood on the other side of the sea saw that there was none other boat there, save the, that one wherein his disciples were entered, and that Jesus went not with his disciples into the boat, but that his disciples were gone away alone. Howbeit there came other boats from Tiberias nigh unto the place, where they did eat bread, after that the Lord had given thanks. When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, neither his disciples, they also took shipping and came to Capernaum, seeking for Jesus. And when they had found him on the other side of the sea, they said unto him, Rabbi, when camest thou hither? Jesus answered them and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Ye seek me, not because ye saw the miracles, but because you did eat of the loaves and were filled. Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him hath God's, God the Father sealed. Then said they unto him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that ye believe on him whom he has sent. They said therefore unto him, What sign shewest thou then, that we may see and believe thee? What dost thou work? Our fathers did eat manna in the desert, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is, the, is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. Then said they unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. But I say unto you that ye also have seen me and believe not. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. For I came down from heaven, not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. 
And this is the Father's will which has sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me, that every one which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. The Jews then murmured at him, because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And they said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he saith, I came down from heaven? Jesus therefore answered and said unto them, Murmur not among yourselves. No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall be all taught of God. Every man therefore that hath heard and hath learned of the Father cometh unto me. Not that any man hath seen the Father, save he which is of God, he hath seen the Father. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. I am that bread of life. Your fathers did eat man in the wilderness, and are dead. This is the bread which cometh down from heaven, that a man may eat thereof, and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. The Jews therefore strove among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man, and drink his blood, ye have no life in you. Whoso eateth my flesh, and drinketh my blood, hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him. As the living Father hath sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. This is that bread which came down from heaven. Not as your fathers did eat manna, and are dead, he that eateth of this bread shall live forever. These things said he in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Many, therefore, of his disciples, when they had heard this, said, This is an hard saying. Who can hear it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, he said unto them, Doth this offend you? What, and if you shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before? It is the Spirit that quickeneth, the, the flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit, and they are life. But there are some of you that believe not. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who should betray him. And he said, Therefore said I unto you that no man can come unto me except it were given unto him of my father. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Then said Jesus unto the twelve, Will ye also go away? Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe and are sure that thou art the Christ, 
the Son of the living God. Jesus answered him, Jesus answered them, Have not I chosen you twelve, and one of you is a devil? He spake of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for he it was that should betray him, being one of the twelve. Well, we greet you, each one, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the name we intend to exalt, lift up, worship today. Um, I just want to capitalize on the very last point Rod made, made, Jesus wants to carry your burden, no matter the size. <clears throat> um, I just thought, a thought that I had as we gathered together to start the visit this year, Rollin had a little devotion for us, and it was on the thought of love. And, and I thought about, as Rod was opening in his thoughts, that really the greatest motivation to carry someone else's burden would surely be love that we would have for that person. And rightly so, because that is the law of Christ. Um, Christ was motivated by love to carry our burden, no matter what the size. The question I have, and it's just a thought that I had as Rod was opening, was he spoke a lot about the burden bear and, and being motivated to bear a burden. But what about, are you willing to let someone else bear your burden? And the realities are that that's hard for us to do that. We would much rather be the burden bearer than the one having to have our burden borne. That's just where we're at. And, and so I would like to take that thought and take it right into our topic today as, as Rod ended up there. What about the bigger picture, the ultimate burden? I think intellectually we all know that Jesus came to bear our burden. The question is, will I let him? And it's a vital, vital, eternal question that we all have to ask and confront in our own hearts, will I let him? I don't know what you think about John 6. I would, John 6 is probably one of the, Jesus is just so good at just throwing stuff out there and just puzzling the human mind to its extreme complexity of saying, what in the world are you saying? What do you mean by that? And, and I think that this possibly be, would be a fairly classic, John 6 would be one, as Jesus was early in his ministry moving along, and all of a sudden he's telling his followers, hey, you know what you've got to do? You've got to eat my body and you've got to drink my blood. You talk about throwing a curveball at some people, that had to be a huge one. And it was a huge one. It's like, the Bible says that from that point on, some say, this is, this is off the wall. It's, it's off the charts. I'm done. And they left. 
That's how hard it was. And quite frankly, for centuries later, we're still looking at it and trying to figure out what it means. (laughs) And I'm not saying I'm going to have uh, big answers for you today. Jesus spoke in metaphors, allegories, things that he said one thing, it actually meant something else, uh, had fulfillments in different ways, and and this obviously is one of those, and there's differences of opinion probably of, of what this even means. For a text today, um, if you just want to write this down, it's verse 56, just write it down, word for word, that's the text. Uh, sometimes I just struggle with even knowing what the title I just got a lot of thoughts in my heart, and I don't know where to just hone in and focus, but that would probably be the verse that we will, we will call our title today, He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me and I in him. Now, it goes on and says, you know, when we do this, then we're going to live forever. Uh, he also says, and I want to clarify on down here in verse uh, 63, he clarifies, Jesus says, it's the spirit that quickeneth. Um, He said, flesh profiteth nothing. These words that I speak, they are spirit and they are life. So that gives us a a clear picture there that, that what he's saying is these have spiritual content. It doesn't mean that you're going to come... Kill me outside of Jerusalem. Each of you is going to come take a bite and a little sip. It doesn't mean that. He said, this is spirit. So so just even given that, it's just like, okay, so we've got some chore to do to even figure out what he's trying to say. <clears throat> um, we're going to sing 157 shortly. Just one little disclaimer, and we'll give this real quick, real fast. This is not an apology, it's simply a disclaimer. I look back, I keep record of the, the sermons that I preached, and I've, I've preached at least twice, maybe more, at Morningstar, the weekend before our communion, about the cup and the bread. I know I've done that. Um, I, I just want to say that. I want to acknowledge that. I don't apologize for it, that here we go again. Maybe you're going to say, oh, okay, here we go. I don't know. I just want to say that this has been a topic that I have wrestled with in my own mind, not, not doubting, just trying to understand for years and decades And so, quite frankly, every time that communion starts coming, I get to thinking about it again. I I bless you, brothers, you deacons, and all of you. Uh, I just thought, how many emails have we had in the last three or four weeks, Morning Star, about getting ready for communion? It's been a bunch of them, hasn't it? Praise the Lord. Thank you, brothers, for doing that. There has been a gazillion ways of preparation for next weekend. All kinds of jobs and duties and this is and that's is and bring this and buy that and take that and go here and do this and inviting and ministers coming and praying for them and all this. And I say hallelujah, it's a good weekend and, and we want to 
We want to uh, elaborate on that just a tiny little bit later on. But the whole focus of that whole weekend is at one spot, and that is a bread that we break and a cup that we drink out of. That is it. And the burden on my heart, and I've shared this before, I know I have, is how much preparation time have we all spent, including myself, for that moment? We know who's going to carry the tubs, and we know who's going to dip the soup, and we know who's going to wear for dinner, but what about that moment? And I'm just speaking out of my own heart, time after time, I couldn't even begin to tell you how many times I have taken a piece of that bread and, dr- and drank a sip of that cup, I don't even know how many times in my life. And still to this day, I do that, and it's just like, what really is this? And many times I say, oh, the bread's hard this year. I wonder why they didn't score a little deeper. I wonder if this is Mug and David or if it's uh, Boone's Farm or what kind of wine this stuff is. It kind of tastes better than it did. So we start doing all this stuff. It's just like, wait a minute. This is eternal. This is life-giving. That's just the burden on my heart. That's my disclaimer. And we're going to move on. <clears throat> Let's sing uh, one. 57, again, we know this hymn, it's just about this fountain filled with blood, and, and as we plunge beneath that flood, we lose, there it is, our guilty stains, um, we're familiar with the hymn, let's sing it, 157, so keep in mind two things, one is a body, the other is blood, I'd like to Turn to Exodus 12. We're going to be very, very, extremely, very brief. But there is just something that I picked up here that I would like to look at. One first thing I'd like to do today is just give a very brief overview of the Passover. Okay, and we're all familiar with it, so I'm not going to spend any time with it. There is a lot of detail that's very interesting. But we're all familiar with the Passover. The, the children of Israel came out of Egypt, or they were in Egypt. Um, and God says, I got one last plague. It's a plague of death. And there is something you got to do if you want to escape that death. It's just this one little detail you got to do. And that little detail is you've got to get a lamb, a perfect lamb, at a very specific time, on a very specific day. You've got to kill that lamb. Notice you are killing a body, an animal. When you do that, you extract the blood out of it. You take that blood, you put it on the lintel, the doorposts, side posts of your door. And when I come through Egypt, if I see the blood, I will pass over your house and you will escape death. 
It took two things. It took the death of an animal or a body, and it took the application of blood. Now, the point I want to make here in Exodus 12 is even before that happened, and this intrigues me, God said, there is a little ceremony that I want you to establish, Moses, that you will continue to do every single year from now on because I do not want you to ever forget what happened. So, as he is telling Moses, even prior to this event happening, the memorial that he wants the children of Israel to keep, I just want to hit one verse in verse 14. It just kind of stood out to me. Uh, This is God talking to Moses, and here's what he's saying. This is even before this event happened. He said, in this day, this memorial day, he said, this day shall be unto you for one, a memorial. Many times here it just says, if your children ask you, what are you doing? You say, this is so we won't forget. So it's a memorial. And you shall keep it, number two, a feast to the Lord throughout your generation. You shall keep it a feast by, number three, an ordinance forever. I was just intrigued with that when God says this is going to be a memorial, it's going to be a feast, and it's also going to be an ordinance that I want you to continually continually do to remember this thing called Passover. The body had to be killed. The blood had to be applied so that you didn't die. We're not going to turn there. Next point I want to make is about that same brief of an overview of the Day of Atonement. We'll find that in Leviticus. We're not going to turn there. I just finished up the book of Leviticus in my Bible reading, and it's hallelujah. Got through it one more time. But it's, 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 the older I get, the more intriguing it is. But, but there was a day called the Day of Atonement. Uh, you'll find it in Leviticus 16. We're not going to turn there. That day, the high priest alone himself, a lot of ceremony went on ahead of this, he would have taken a goat, a body. He would have killed it. Bodies are, in this context, is meant for sacrifice. Whenever the word sacrifice comes up, Think of the word death. Someone had to buy that thing. Someone had to to provide that. That goat was killed. The blood of that goat was, was extracted. The Bible says that the high priest, one time, every year, only once a year, went into that temple or that tabernacle, it would have been at the time. If you remember, there was a holy place. You kind of go in behind the curtain. And then there was the holiest place. You know what was in there? The mercy seat, the Ark of the Covenant, so on. 
one time a year, only the high priest, him alone, would take blood from that slain goat and take it into that room where one man, one time a year, would ever go. That was where the very presence of God was, and he would take that blood, the Bible says, and sprinkle it on that mercy seat. That one little act, the Bible said, would atone for his... He he did another little ritual for himself. Would atone for the sins of the people. That word atone just means that he covered it up. He appeased God. Uh, Was it faulty? No, it was exactly what God said to do. And he said, if you do that, I will stay my wrath against your sin. In other words, once again, because a body was killed, because blood was applied, this time to a mercy seat, your life was spared. That also God said you do every year. Those two things are hugely important. The Old Testament writings surround those two items. And it even comes right into the New Testament, which we're just about to find out as we turn to St. Luke chapter 22. This would have been some 1,500 years later-ish. I, I didn't, I'm not getting real technical about details here on some of this today. there's times I think the Jews were at such a disadvantage because they just couldn't see the Messiah when he came and yet I think there's so many times where we as Christians are at such a disadvantage because we don't have any more Jewishness about us than what we do and therefore many of these things when when, when the shadow is pointing us to the real thing, it's just like when we get to see the real thing, it's just like we don't even understand the shadow or what, what the type was that brought it. And many times the type actually clarifies the reality. And we're going to see that a little bit more. I don't know if that makes sense to you or not. So here we are in Luke 22, where some 1,500 years later after, after Moses... Um, And we're in verse 13. So there was, tension was high out the roof right now in Jerusalem. Uh, This Jesus was coming. He had done miracles. People were perplexed. The, 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 um, The Pharisees, the Sanhedrin, the Jews were, were trying to kill him. They didn't know what to do with him. It's just like now they're all coming and converging on this town of Jerusalem because of what? The Feast of the Passover. There it is. This is the time of year. We're about to do that. 
And Jesus is there with his disciples. So verse 13, it says, They went and, and, found, <clears throat> and found as he had said unto them, and they made ready the Passover. So Jesus told them, he says, Hey, you go see a man there. He's got an upper room. You know the story. So, so they were ready to, uh, this was the day of preparation. And he says, you go make ready uh, the Passover. <clears throat> and the when hour was come, he sat down and the 12 apostles with him. So now it's in the evening. It's, it's later in the day. This is pro- possibly the first day of the Passover by now. After sunset, whatever. Not going to worry about the timing too much. But I, I just, uh, so, so here I am in, in verse 15. I just am intrigued with these words a little bit. Uh, here's what Jesus said. And he said unto them, with desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. He keeps talking about something strange about being killed. Something weird about going away and coming back. And, and I don't know. And, you know, back there a year or so ago, he's talking about we had to eat his blood and drink his flesh, and I don't know, nothing ever really came out of that. I don't know. None of this makes sense. Frustrating. But we do know. We are convinced this is the Messiah. And here he's saying, I desire to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say unto you, I will not any more eat thereof until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. The only point I'm making here is this is a moment of time right here where that Jewish Passover feast that had been kept over and over again for 1,500 years was about to come to its conclusion. Fulfillment. Not needed anymore. Also, simultaneously, another memorial was about to be established that also would be kept from that point on. It's just a a pivotal point right here in history. He said, this is going to be fulfilled in the kingdom of God, or this this, um, Passover. So he took the cup. uh, He said, divide this among yourself. He says, I'm not going to drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God shall come. He says, so there's some conclusive things said here by Jesus. He says, Uh, I'm just telling you, disciples, I'm not going to drink of that anymore until fulfillment of a lot of things. It was very conclusive. It was a very decisive moment. Uh, They didn't understand that, obviously. But what Jesus was saying was, all of this Passover, and even, and we're going to find out a little bit, this Day of Atonement, It's about to be fulfilled. If it's fulfilled, if the the type has now become reality, there's no sense in continuing on with it, with the, the memorial. But at the same time, he is also establishing 
a memorial, a feast, and an ordinance. And that is what we're going to participate in next weekend. I'd like to read this. I'm not going to spend time looking at the scriptures. There's five primary places in the Bible that it talks about Jesus with something called bread and a cup. So we find it in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and we find it twice in 1 Corinthians. What I've done is I have taken four of those, not 1 Corinthians 10, but I've taken Matthew, Mark, Luke, and 1 Corinthians 11, because they all have a little different detail. That's just the way the Bible is. And I've, I've kind of put them all together into one statement. Let's just listen to this statement that possibly Jesus would have said right now. In this moment, he had come to eat the Passover. They had already sang possibly Psalm 113 and 14 maybe before this feast. And now they are probably in the middle of the Seder maybe. And all of a sudden he takes bread. So here's what he says. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread. Now, I don't know what this bread looked like, but it would have been unleavened bread. We didn't talk about that. It probably would have been, would not have been a nice fluffy loaf. It probably would have been fairly flat and more like a dish rag. Sort of tough, maybe. I don't know. I'm just speculating a little bit. He says, Jesus took bread. He blessed it. He broke it. Think about breaking a tortilla. You wouldn't go. You know what you would do? Rip. I don't know. I don't know what this looked like. He blessed it, he broke it, and gave it to his disciples and said. I'm kind of amused at how short of language sometimes the Bible is. He says, take, eat. Okay, that's not a big deal. Notice, this is my body. Which is broken and given for you. Now this is a, this is kind of a summary of all of them. This do in remembrance of me. These words were heavy. He took this bread. This was the Passover meal. This was the remembering of what had happened. 
And there he took bread and he ripped it. And he gave it to them. He says, take it. Eat it. This is my body. Don't forget. Then he takes a cup. There would have been cups there. He gave thanks. He gave it to them. And they all drank of it. And he said unto them, This is my blood. He goes on, This is my blood of the New Testament. Now you see this is transitional. New Testament, we are people of the Old Covenant. In fact, there wasn't no such thing as an old covenant. It was just the covenant. Now he's saying we've got a New Testament, a new covenant. Alarm bells are going off. Wait a minute. Who are you? God, give us the law. What are you saying? You can just imagine the (coughs) complexity. He said unto them, this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many, for, keywords, the remission of sins. This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye, as oft as you drink it, In remembrance of me. I don't know what you make out of that, but somehow I think there would have been some flashbacks about, you remember he told us that he was bread. He said he came from heaven. He wasn't like manna. He was this bread from heaven. You've got to take this bread. By the way, uh, you remember... He told us that you have to eat my body and you have to drink my blood. But he wasn't talking about cannibalism. He was talking about there's a spirit, not flesh. And what does all this mean? I don't know what it means. But somehow, (coughs) I have to feel like there's some flashbacks in their minds. Oh. (coughs) This piece of bread, he said, is my body. And this cup is blood. Now, body and blood. What happens to bodies? When there's a sacrifice, the body has to get killed. They were very familiar with all this. That body had to die. When the body died, something had to happen with the blood. It had to be applied. It had to be put somewhere in order to what? (coughs) 
save us from death. Matthew and Mark both say that when this little event was done, they sang a hymn and went out. I would just like to go back to the the Hallel. I think most scholars would agree that at least Psalm 118 would have been part of that hymn that they sang when they went out. It would have been the normal hymn that they would have sung. Um, I would just like to read Psalm 117 and 118. I'm just trying as best as I can in my own way, just put myself there. And think about what Jesus had just said, some Incredible things were happening. The disciples couldn't understand it. And now they're getting ready to walk out and they sing this hymn. Let's read Psalm 117 and 118. And think about how this is becoming reality right before their eyes. Praise the Lord, all ye nations. Praise him, all ye people. For his merciful kindness is great toward us, and the truth of the Lord endureth forever. Praise ye the Lord. Again, that's just a hallelujah. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, because his mercy endureth forever. Remember, we just celebrated this Passover. And and we talked about the mercy seat. Let Israel now say that his mercy endureth forever. Let the house of Aaron now say that his mercy endureth forever. Let them now that fear the Lord say that his mercy endureth forever. I called upon the Lord in distress. You know what? We had a burden. That's why. The Lord answered me. And set me in a large place. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord taketh my part with them that help me. Therefore shall I see my desire upon them that hate me. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. Just think about There's Pharisees and Sanhedrins that are walking around just waiting for the opportunity to kill this guy. And we're singing this hymn. I'm not afraid. What can man do to me? It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. All nations can pass me about, but in the name of the Lord will I destroy them. They can pass me about, yea, they can pass me about. But in the name of the Lord, I will destroy them. They can pass me about like bees. Yea, they they are quenched as the fire of thorns. For in the name of the Lord, I will destroy them. Thou hast thrust sore at me that I might fall. 
but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and song. And notice, and become my salvation. The voice of rejoicing and salvation is in the tabernacles of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord doeth valiantly. The right hand of the Lord is exalted. The right hand of the Lord doeth valiantly. I shall not die, but live and declare the works of the Lord. Really? The Lord hath chastened me sore, but he hath not given me over unto death. Open to me the gates of righteousness. I will go in, I will go into them, and I will praise the Lord, this gate of the Lord into which the righteous shall enter. I will praise thee, for thou hast heard me, and art become my salvation. The stone which the builders refused is become the head of the stone, the headstone of the corner. This is the Lord's doings, and it is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day which the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Save now, I beseech thee, O Lord. O Lord, I beseech thee, send now prosperity. Blessed be he that cometh in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you out of the house of the Lord. God is the Lord, which has showed us light. Bind the sacrifice with cords, even under the horns of the altar. Look at the, the pictorial words there. Thou art my God, and I will praise thee. Thou art my God, I will exalt thee. I will give thanks unto the Lord for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. That was the song, likely, that they sang. Before amazing things started happening. Hebrews 10. I would like to think just a moment about the body. We all know what happened right after that song was sung. Now we're, we're taking a little bit of a look we're launching forward, now we're kind of looking back. But I'd just like to focus a little bit about the body. Remember, there was body, there was blood. <clears throat> and we're just not going to spend much time here. These are so fascinating of scriptures, but, but this is telling why the old law was now fulfilled in the new law, specifically in the man, Jesus Christ. But I just want to start reading uh, at verse 5. Now, this is a prophecy in Psalms, but it's talking about Jesus. So I want to personalize it. Wherefore, when Jesus cometh into the world... He saith. So this is something that 
that David wrote about Jesus that Jesus would have said when he come into the world. Now remember, Jesus is divine. He is the Son of God. He, this, this globe is not his normal uh, place of existence. But he says, Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not. In other words, what he's saying in, in the context is, God's saying, you know what? Goats and lambs and those sacrifices don't really accomplish what I really intend. Thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. I just, the, the imagery here is amazing to me where the very son of God who is spirit came down and he says, uh, you know what you did, God? You actually prepared for me a body like these other human beings. And I got to live in that thing, a body. Then said I, lo, I come, and this is again Jesus, uh, of course it's written in the book, to do thy will, O God. This is Jesus talking. You gave me a body, you prepared for me a body, I've just come to do your will. Um, and he makes some clarifications here in verse 8 that, that what he's saying is the old has passed away and the new is coming. Um, <clears throat> I, I'm sorry, we're just kind of being brief here. I want to go to verse 10. Remember, he says, I come to do thy will, O God, by the which will we are sanctified through the offering of of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. The picture we get is the Son of God came to earth. God gave him a body for one reason. The very reason we've already talked about. To be sacrificed to be killed, to be put on the altar. This is some different versions of Isaiah 52, verse 14. The Amplified. Just as many were astonished and appalled at you, my people, so his appearance was marred more than any man, and his form marred more than the sons of men. Here's another one. And, and that, that you, some of you already turned there, but his visage was marred more than any man. That's, that's the part. Listen to this. But many were amazed when they saw him. His face was so disfigured, he seemed hardly human. And from his appearance, 
one would scarcely know that he was a man. This is a description of Jesus. Right after he finished the hymn. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being and his form marred beyond human likeness. Here's the complete Jewish Bible. Just as many were appalled at him because he was so disfigured that he didn't even seem human and simply no longer look like a man. John 19. One little verse. Verse 1. Then Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him. That's all it says. Blip. I know it's been explained. You've probably researched it, whatnot. But when you read that verse, here's what I want you to think of. Chisel plow. The psalmist says, they, the plowmen plowed upon my back. They made long their furrows. Just think, chisel plow. That's the body. And the Bible says it was offered in sacrifice once for all. Understand this, people. This was the last one. This is it. Because he was the perfect one. While we're right here in this chapter, let's go over to 34. He's on the cross. He died. And one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side and forthwith came there out blood and water. And it I just like this next verse. He says, And he that saw it bear record, and his record is true, and he knoweth that he saith true, that you might believe. It's just like John saying, You know what? I wrote this down as horrifying as it is because I want you to believe it. It says, They stuck him in the side, and forthwith came there out blood and water. I would just like to talk about the blood a little bit. Again, I'm going to go back to Hebrews 9 this time. Remember, body, blood. The body had to be killed. The lamb had to be killed in the Passover. The goat had to be killed at the Day of Atonement. And 
Lastly, at the end of the age, at the fulfillment of all that, the, the body of the Christ had to be killed, sacrificed, dead, for a very specific reason. It's hard to take the blood of a sacrifice if the sacrifice isn't dead. We are in chapter 9. Again, we're just going to be very, very brief of some very interesting stuff. <clears throat> we'll start reading in verse 11. In fact, the first part of this talking is, is specifically talking about the Day of Atonement and how all that worked and, and all this. So, so this is the comparison now. Uh, this is not talking about Passover. This is comparing it to the Day of Atonement when that priest went into the holiest place. So get that picture in your mind. But Christ, verse 11, being come and high priest, the, the challenging thing that took me for so long to figure out was Christ plays multiple roles in this, in this, um, in this teaching here. He is the high priest. He was also the lamb that was killed. He also takes his own blood in. It's his own blood. Uh, he, he fulfills all of those roles. So it can kind of get confusing, but don't, don't let it confuse you. But Christ being come and high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves. Now notice this. But by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place. This is a time where the type gives us a clear picture of what the reality is. Jesus is the high priest. He took blood in there, blood of the sacrifice, into the holiest place. We'll get to that. <clears throat> uh, yeah, entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and of goats, the ashes of a heifer, of cleaning the, of sprinkling of the unclean, sanctify to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, <coughs> purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Now, I think we're just going to hop over. I would like to spend a little bit of time about the blood of the covenant. And I, I'm just going to be very brief. I know it speaks about that here in verse 18 and 19. But that is a key thing when Jesus said, this is my blood of the New Testament. One thing blood did it obtained mercy for us. We've already talked about that. It, it allowed the, the uh, God to pass over. In other words, it saved us from death. No less here, except this was the one and final last time that this was to happen. 
but the blood of the covenant, that term, blood of the covenant, simply was a term that when a covenant was made, there would be bloodshed, that it would be put on both parties, and that would make the covenant binding. So, so back, he's referring to Moses back in the old law, uh, after in Exodus, that when it was all done, it says Moses took blood, he sprinkled the book of the law, and also said he sprinkled the people, because that's who the covenant was between. And Moses said, Behold, the blood of the covenant. And from that moment, that covenant was binding. It was in force. It was engaged. It was meaningful. And I just find it so interesting. I probably shared this before. that Jesus took a cup and said, this is my blood. I want the saints from now on clear until I come back again to drink it. I don't know of any other way, or I'm sure there could be other ways, but it fascinates me that he chose that way to sprinkle all of the recipients of the covenant with the blood of the covenant, and that makes it real to me. In other words, we're, we're going to, we'll talk about that here in a second. Um, <clears throat> verse 24, for Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true. He said he didn't go into that temple down the road there. Um, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us, nor yet that he should offer himself often as the high priest entereth into the holy place every year with blood of others. For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now, once in the end of the world, hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And we're just going to stop there. All I'm saying is that Christ has entered in to that holy place with his own blood, sprinkled it there for the atonement, for the remission of our sins, thereby allowing us to escape the penalty of sin, which is death. I don't know if you ever get tired of hearing that or not, but I don't. I'm sorry. So, so what is the covenant? Let's read the covenant. We're in Hebrews 10, verse 16. So here's the covenant. The blood of the covenant has been sprinkled. The lamb has been slain. Here's the covenant. This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds will I write them, notice, and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Now where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. It is done. Now, 
I would like to go to 1 Corinthians 10. We're about to wrap up. Um, I'd like to circle back around. i just stop at verse 1 Corinthians 11 first. There's a verse here I want to get. Now that's, that was a flyby of what has happened concerning a body and blood. Not of goats, but of the spotless Lamb of God, the Holy Jesus Christ Himself. Here's what Paul says, verse 26 of 1 Corinthians 11. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. What we're doing is we're making a proclamation that yes, this did happen. We are also making a proclamation that yes, this did happen for me. And we talked about that, I think, last year as we talked over there at communion about Many times we think it's good for you, but not for me. And that's the burden in my heart as Rod is talking. It's just like, am I willing to let him bear my sin? And it's amazing how often we say no. We're not willing to do that. Because somehow we feel like it's our obligation. That's not the tenor of this message today. We are in chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians. Very familiar scripture. This is probably the fifth place that is talked about. And here's what Paul says. The cup of blessing, in verse 16, 1 Corinthians 10, which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ. And one translation says, is it not our participation in the blood of Christ? And that's a good word too. That word communion is koinonia. It means fellowship, participation, communion. There's, it, it means there is a cooperation between two. Um, so, so this is a way where we can actually enter into, cooperate with, participate in the blood. The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? It's a way that we can participate in it. Um, Again, the reason I highlighted verse 56 of St. John 6 is it's probably the most graphic uh, description of communion that I know of when it just simply says, He that eateth my flesh and drinketh of my blood dwelleth in me and I in him. There is a cooperative uh, cooperation there that means communion. It's close. It's It's intimate. For we being many are one bread and one body, for we are all partakers of that one bread. And one of the side benefits of next weekend 
is that as each one of us look at that piece of bread and ponder this is the body. Break it. We take the cup, we look into it. This is the blood. We eat it. We drink it. We taste it. We smell it. We feel it. Our senses engage with it. And it becomes very, very real and precious to us. And as we do that, the Bible here says, Paul says, that when we all do that, he says, since we are all doing it to the same God, he says, we actually become one together. Now, how good is that? Huh? I just look forward again to communing. Just one last little thing. I feel like, and this is no reflection because this is actually a feast. We call it a love feast. It actually is a memorial. That's the whole thing about it, is to remember. Just like those old uh, old um, feasts were. And it's also an ordinance. It's, these are ordinances. They are commands of God. Jesus implemented them. And we're to do that until he comes again. I'm just simply saying that let's keep the vertical aspect of our communion far superior to the horizontal aspect. A lot of components could be put under there. God bless you. I look forward to meeting you at the mercy seat next Saturday evening.